Turn It Up, a podcast from the team at Kapir, celebrating community, the things that matter to them, and all the things in between. We have real conversations with real people about real issues, from food and housing security, social and economic participation, a stable and healthy environment, and inclusive design and planning. This episode is a conversation with Denise Francisco, a Senior Associate and Client Development Lead at Kapir, and Eleanor Howe, an Associate and Team Lead at Kapir, too. They discuss deliberative engagement and what this means in the context of local council governance. Hello, Eleanor. Lovely to see you. Thank you. I thought it would be a good idea for us to get together and discuss deliberative engagement. Yes. You know, we've worked a lot on projects at Kapir on behalf of local governments since the changes to the Local Government Act in Victoria, which requires local government authorities to undertake deliberative engagement. We had a busy year last year, yeah. so I thought it'd be a good idea for us to have a bit of a chat about the requirements of the Local Government Act and for us to sort of reflect on what that means, what's the expectations of councils in relation to deliberative engagement and have a bit of a chat about some of the examples of projects that we've worked on, some of the feedback that we've received from councils about the processes that we've facilitated, and maybe some of the secrets of success. Yeah, I think that's a really nice idea. I, I've been thinking a lot about how we can also continue to harness the energy and enthusiasm that the participants brought to these processes. And in thinking about this task as well, Denise, I was thinking around We worked with kind of 15, 16 different councils all across Victoria and every single process was different, every single one, but they all led to the same outcome. Indeed. And so I think that's probably one good point to make is is that it's not one size fits all, is it? It's that each project is different and each council is different. And so the the processes that you choose will reflect those differences in the local communities, the local stakeholders and also the local issues. Yeah, definitely. So maybe we should kick off with a bit of background to the requirement of the Local Government Act because it is, you know, pretty new for Victorian councils. It's something that might even apply more broadly across Australia down the track. But I might even read some words. I think it's it's important to kind of get this right. But community engagement seeks to better engage the community to achieve long-term and sustainable outcomes, processes, relationships, discourse, decision-making or implementation. And to be successful, it must encompass strategies and processes that are sensitive to the community context in which it occurs, which makes sense that each of these projects were really different. Mm -hmm. The principles of community engagement refer to deliberative engagement practices. So the Act doesn't prescribe what those practices are. And so councils have been broadly interpreting what that means. The key characteristics of deliberative engagement are considered to be Authentic engagement with the community. So the question is, what is authentic engagement? Good representation of the community in engagement activities, and that's reflecting the local communities. Mm -hmm. Clear demonstration of how all views have been considered. Accessible and relevant information available to the community to ensure the decision-making process and the community's level of influence is clear in each instance and that participants are fully informed. They have to be provided with information for them to be able to effectively participate in the Mm. engagement. Mm. And the final point is that transparency is key to an effective process. It makes a point that community engagement, when well-planned and genuine, can be a positive and productive practice. And I think that was certainly our experience over the last couple of years. Absolutely. 
The intent of the Act is to encourage this by assisting councils to build capacity in deliberative engagement and for it to become usual practice rather than an exceptional exercise. Hmm. So what does that mean? The Act says that a council must adopt and maintain a community engagement policy. And I think most councils that we were working with had developed a community engagement policy. I think some councils were a little bit further down the track with that than others. Mm -hmm. The policy must, amongst other things, be developed in consultation with the community and give effect to the community engagement principles that I've just outlined that are listed in the Act. So Section 56 of the Act lists the principles. I'll just go through them really quickly. A community engagement process must have a clearly defined objective and scope. Participants in community engagement must have access to objective, relevant and timely information to inform their participation. They must be representative of the persons and groups affected by the matter that is the subject of community engagement. They are entitled to reasonable support to enable that participation and are informed of the ways in which community engagement processes will influence the way councils will make decisions. Mm. So the expectations at a minimum apply in relation to the community engagement policy is that they must involve engagement in the following strategic plans, planning and financial management, community vision, their council plan, Mm -hmm. their financial plan, revenue and rating planning, and their asset plan. We've worked on a lot of those, all of those plans across Victorian councils. I'll make one one final point, and that is that when applying deliberative engagement practices in the development of those plans, documents, policies and procedures, that councils should be aware that all principles within the Act should also be applied where relevant. So, for example, financial management, public transparency, strategic planning and service performance principles must also be considered. So it's not just about engagement, it's about other best practice, governance, planning, transparency that applies in these processes. Just given all of that, Eleanor, I thought it would be good for us to kind of maybe share some examples of different approaches that we applied over the last couple of years Hmm. that apply those principles. So what what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I think it will be definitely a great idea to pick some of those up, particularly we were experiencing lockdown. Some of these processes that we went through were purely online. Some were a hybrid where some of our you know, panel sessions were in person and some were online and some were all in person. We had this magic window in between lockdowns where they were all in person. And I've been reflecting on whether that made much of a difference. I think obviously in-person sessions are fantastic for the groupness. You can, you can get that groupness a lot quicker than what you would in an online setting. But ultimately, the result was the same. We took participants on a journey. They were informed. They were provided with information to enable them to make decisions and have discussions and provide recommendations, which ultimately led to the community vision or the asset plan that then informed strategic council documents like the council plan. I agree. I think it was also the the sort of scale of engagement was different across projects. So some were sort of smaller you know, smaller number of sessions for a shorter amount of time. Some of them were quite long and lengthy and and Mm. numerous sessions. So it did depend on the scope of what people were wanting to address. Some deliberative processes covered all four plans, community vision plus the council plan plus the health and wellbeing plan. And and I think in some cases that was maybe a little bit all-encompassing. 
Mm. Less is more, I, I felt, with some of those yeah. processes. I think the things that were similar across all processes is that it was really important to undertake broad-based surveying of the municipality mm. to inform the deliberative component of those processes. Mm. And that was important to, because it wasn't just about those that were participating, but bringing in the voices of, of the municipalities mm. um, more broadly. And it was important to be able to reflect back on that data throughout oh. the process to check yeah. that, you know, we hadn't forgotten what the, what was important to the community. Yeah, almost almost to give our, our panel members or working group members or whatever we call this this group of individuals who who were a mini version of that municipality because we looked at the demographics and we worked with our clients to make sure that this group of 50, 60, 100, there were a few different variations there. We made sure that they were representative to that municipality. So it was like a mini a mini one. One of the projects I worked on, we actually tasked the community themselves to go out and collect those stories from their neighbours, from their families, from the community groups that they were participating in. And that worked really, really well because they were hearing firsthand from the community what was important to them. So that was a, another great way of collecting that kind of the, the broader narratives, I guess, yeah. as yeah. you will. And we did that during lockdown. So people were able to go out and talk to their neighbours uh, within their 5Ks. So that was a great, great approach to kind of collecting that broader based sentiment yeah. of the community. You know, you always want that kind of legacy to continue on past our, our involvement in a project. Do you think that in collecting those stories, people were able to kind of create relationships and connections with community members they hadn't interacted with before? Absolutely. So there's yeah. another benefit and outcome, isn't there, of undertaking these processes is developing those links, the connections yeah. between people, which strengthens people's communities as well. And then there's connection to kind of go back on once mm. the plans are in place, you know, need to implement. And so often it's not just about council's role in implementing the great ideas that community come up with. Councils are keen for communities to get involved. And so that's yeah. a great way for kind of harnessing people's involvement. Mm, yeah, you're right. You know, it is a community vision and it is in the council vision, but that community vision does underpin the council plan. And there is this conversation you have and council has with this is yours to deliver on community, but how can we best support you to deliver that particular initiative or what can we do for you as the governing body to help you? I've just got one quick question around those stories because I really love that methodology. I really love that, you know, you're, you're tasking almost community champions to go out and have conversations because they're their relationships to hold. They're not necessarily ours. We're kind of visitors to support people to have these conversations, be it council or community members, but it's their relationships and I love being able to, to harness and support that. Did you give people a bit of a criteria, like you have to go out and have a conversation with a male or someone over the age of 60 or a young person? No, we didn't actually. We kept it quite open. We were careful to look at the representatives of those on the panel themselves. Yeah. So they themselves were also representative of the community. And so I guess though what we were tasking them to do was to sort of think more broadly about their own views. Yeah. And so that it meant that they were happy to go out and reach out to whoever they had connections with, but also to reach out to those that they might not have had connections with, to yeah. think about those that wouldn't typically participate in these types of processes. You know, it was actually a really positive experience for the participants. Yeah. We got some really good feedback. I, I, I know you've worked on quite a few projects as well. Maybe we should talk a little bit about some of the feedback that we've heard from councils about yeah. these processes. Yeah. So what do you think councils were 
you know, surprised at or really achieved as a result of undertaking deliberative practice? I'm going to start with, I think, probably the elephant. The elephant in the room, it was a very time and resource intensive process to go through a deliberative process. It was the first time many councils had grappled with this idea of this deliberative process. And yes, there were many different ways where we undertook a deliberative process, but I think we all underestimated the time intensity and resource intensity of it. We recruited panel members. Often there were around 60 panel members, but we went through an EOI process. We understood what demographics we want to make up this community panel. We then put an EOI out. We recruited people. We made sure that we had, you know, we invited participation from particular groups we knew may be underrepresented in that EOI process. Then we ran a series of sessions. Some of them were online. And in those sessions, I think it was a little bit less time intensive. For the information sharing, we may have had a pre-recorded webinar so people could jump in and watch it at a time that suited them rather than traveling to an event. But it was a lot of resource intensity from our council members as well because they were they were all in. They were all in on this process, which is what I really loved. I loved how passionate they were about sharing the intricacies and the challenges of council and almost imparting that knowledge on the community members to support them to come up with the decisions. It was like this kind of sharing of challenges. And it was really fantastic to see them just just take that on. They came along to events, they participated, they sat down at tables with community members. They welcomed community members into this challenge and were then taking that away in some instances and then sharing it internally to help other projects and other engagement processes that may have been going on concurrently. Truth-telling, if it were, to come back with additional information to help build on the kind of conversations that were had in the sessions and Mm. I thought that was actually really important secret to success actually we should probably talk about some of the secrets to success Um, so it was iterative in nature I think some councils who didn't do that work in between sessions ended up with lots of data and and a challenge to to know what to do with it but I think council officers requiring to do a little bit of work in between sessions was important Mm. um, Mm. for that iterative process Yeah, and also to kind of make sure that what the community was coming up with, I guess, could go through the the lens of council planning. You know, there are some things that happen at business as usual in a council organisation that, you know, mightn't need to be a pillar of focus or, or kind of included in the vision because it happens anyway. But, yeah, there was a few instances where, you know, after each session, the, the council would take away information, they'd have conversations internally, and they'd, they wouldn't tweak things, but they make the intent would remain the same. They might wordsmith some vision words or wordsmith some, you know, headings, and then present that back to the group. And the group could say, yes, you have it right, or I'd tweak this here, or I'd tweak that there. And it's continuing that fantastic working relationship between council and community, which was beautiful to, to watch evolve. And it just meant at the end, they were both confident and happy with the outcomes that they'd come up with because they'd worked on it together. Looking back at, you know, the numerous projects that we did work on, what what do you think were the secrets to success for, you know, maybe other councils to think about as they plan these processes in the future? Yeah. We said this a lot. It probably lost meaning, but that trust in the process, because if you have like a four-workshop series you know it's that second third workshop usually where you where you think am I going to get what I need to get out of this but you've done all the planning at the beginning and you you anticipate people feeling like that so I think it is about trusting in the process but having a really clear goalpost at the end so you you know what you need to get to at the end you know it's a series of recommendations for council to consider you know it's a community vision you you know what that is and everybody along the journey knows what that is 
but the bits in the middle might change and it might feel uncomfortable. It probably will feel uncomfortable, but to to be okay with feeling uncomfortable, maybe unpack that a little bit, acknowledge it with the room because chances are if you're feeling uncomfortable, others, others in the group are also feeling uncomfortable. So it is that pre-planning, knowing what your end goal posts are or what your end outcome is and trusting, trusting that you are going to get there as a group. Agree. Uh, one of the things I wanted to share in this discussion is the role that council plays in presenting information yeah. to the participants to allow them to be the experts because it's not just yeah. about community's views, it's about very much about the evidence base and yep. council often has that information or other experts have that information through the mm. work that they do with consultants. I felt some councils did it better than others. I think some there was a bit of fear about what information can I share, mm. Um, mm. but you know there's a bit of an art there, isn't there, in being able yep. to present data and evidence in a way that's short and succinct, but yep. is enough information for those in the community to be able to make yeah. or suggest ideas about how council should respond to certain situations. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that was different across yep. all the projects that we worked on. Some councils did better than others, but it's so important how you pitch that information, mm, how you mm. get community to digest some of the, you know, the challenges that councils are, are grappling with. Yeah, and it was almost that process of, you know, you share information. So council will share information, probably in a presentation format usually or a recorded webinar. You'd have a process by which community members can digest that information, add missing gaps because, you know, community members bring additional information to what was presented from council. Indeed. And then allow time for pause and reflect. And that's probably enough information for the first session. And then you think about what information can I share in the second session because you don't want to overwhelm people. There's, council does a lot. The responsibilities of council are huge and to be sharing all of that at once is too much, but chunking it up into bite-sized pieces, allowing that time to pause and reflect and digest with, with your fellow community members is super critical. Agree. Other secrets to success? I think incentives. Incentives are incredibly important. Often in these processes, it's a big investment for, for an individual to make and those incentives, you know, we were in lockdowns. So some of those incentives were, you know, a voucher to spend locally. So you're putting that investment back into the local shops or it could have been passes to the local recreation centre or a, you know, local cinema that, that exists in your community. But I think don't underestimate incentives. It doesn't have to be much. It could be that you provide childcare or transport to get people to and from the space if it's an in-person session. But I think that is important. It's 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 not necessarily cash for comments, which I've heard a few a few people say. It's more an acknowledgement that people are dedicating so much of their time to this, and it's merely just a thank you, as well as good food. Good food always goes a long, long way. <laughs> I looked back at some of the projects that we worked on, and I've kind of collated a few ideas that I think you know that I'd like to share now with mm. those that might be listening to this about things that you might need to consider in the yep. future. One of them is about how do you ensure that other people can see the process that are not mm. participating in the process. So mm. I think some councils thought about that, other councils might not have. So, you know, whether there's a, like a community-facing aspect mm. of these processes and where you're providing kind of regular updates to the broader community mm. about what's happening mm. or transpiring in those in those processes. Mm, yeah, it's that transparency, not just at the end of the process with here's a report of what we discussed and what the outcomes were, but it's transparency along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, th and that means that it's important to build in the time yep. 
that that will take, building resources to help Mm. others across council as well to understand what's happening in these processes. Mm -hmm. Because what flows out of this work will have an impact on the way council goes about its business. And so there is going to be additional resources required to help people understand what this means for the way they implement their plans. Mm. So we need to get better, I think, at thinking about ways that you can bring younger voices into the process in maybe a targeted way. And I think some projects, whilst they weren't in many councils actually, did achieve representation of young people. Mm. But I think some had to sort of think about that in a different way. How do we have a conversation with young people that's that's conducive for their involvement and then bring that into the process. So We did. I'd like to share an example of when we did successfully include not children but definitely young people. So it was a three-stage process, the middle stage being the deliberative process. So the first stage was a series of workshops and they were with all different stakeholder groups, service providers, which could have brought in the kind of thinking of children and young people. But we did have one session that was dedicated to young people and we briefed up table hosts who were young people and they delivered the session with support from a council officer so they didn't feel too overwhelmed and we had a great representation. A lot of investment was done into making sure the right people were in the room and again incentives, incredibly important for for young people. Some of them came along to our panel session so they were actually invited to come back but their opinions, their responses from that first phase was given to our panel for them to understand the perspectives and the views of young people. So that was a really good one. Another one was we also had a session with a scout group. And I'm not sure how it was organised, but there was about 150 young people there who were joined with the scouts. And because of the number of people, we had the parents of the scout group help us facilitate tables. And it was great because they are also members of this of this community as the parents. Young people are the future, aren't they? And so, you know, it's so important that we are thinking creatively about how we involve and bring their voices yeah. into these processes in the future. Yeah, and make them feel heard. Well, can I just say, Eleanor, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you as always. Um, Thank love you, working with you on projects and um, love having a conversation with you about our work. It's, it's nice to sort of stop, reflect and look back on what's been a pretty incredible time in mm. the engagement landscape in Victoria. So yeah. um, hopefully people listening to this have got something out of our chat with each other and we'll no doubt come back to you and share more of our learnings through these processes. Thanks, Denise. It has been a really nice pause and reflect moment. So thank you. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Turn It Up, a podcast from the team at Kapir, celebrating community, the things that matter to them, and all the things in between. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe or feel free to get in touch with us.